In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. And I just encourage men, start somewhere, raise the bar to the level of intensity that you're in bondage of sin. You need to have the same level of intensity of accountability to find freedom. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you, because when a man gets it, everybody wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army. We, we salute you. you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm here with Dale Culver, and as you know, I am Jim Ramos, and we're excited to have you on our show today. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. How you doing, my man? I'm doing excellent. Hey, man. Hey, I'm excited about today's uh, guest. This guy's written a book called Who's Got Your Back, mm-hmm. which is my favorite Creed song, by the way. And uh, I'll tell you what, he's he's addressing an issue in this book that I think is controversial. I don't know why it's controversial, but it is, and I love it because of that. Uh, this guy's an expert in the realm of marriage and relationships and accountability, so I'm excited to get this guy on. Before we do, do you have a man word for me today? Oh, yeah. And don't say accountability. I can't. I think I'm Come pretty on. sure we've done it already. Otherwise, I would have totally done it. So you have a different word? Uh-huh. Uh, the word is... Uh-huh. Um, Come on now. The word is... Come on. Come on, dude. Come confession. On. Oh, no. No? What is it? It's you've been talking about it a lot. It's more of an acrostic in this podcast. Dare? Yeah. You can't use dare as a man word. I'm totally use it. That's like cheating. I um, dare you oh. to do something different. I dare you now to you're live talking different. Switch, now you're talking switch foot. Uh-huh. I dare you to I, move. I okay. dare you to move your butt and do something good. Oh man, you can't Worth say while. butt on this podcast. It's yeah. A podcast. I know. Fooey. I, I think that's good. I, I think that's a, a good one. I love this acrostic. We're gonna talk about more about what this means, yeah. but I think daring men to step out in faith, daring men to be bold, daring men to be humble, daring men to confess, daring men to be vulnerable. Daring men to, to, to work have... on a better marriage than the rest of the world? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember back when I was a young guy, DC Talk, if it's Christian, it ought to be better. But when it comes to marriage, it seems like they, Not they so aren't. Much. And yeah. so uh, I think accountability is a big part of that. But I don't know for sure. That's why we have an expert on. Yeah. And so uh, do you have any shout outs, uh, reviews today? Yeah. A Schneider 523 uh, hit me up and we want to get you some swag. Yeah. Thank Can you. Can you for define that. hit me up? Does hit that, what up. does that mean? He wants your cell phone digits? Like yeah, he hit call me you up, for yo, what? yo. What does hit dog, me up mean? You're, you're a 50-year-old man. I'm not 50. Well, you're 45. <laughs> well, that's a so long is, so way. If the guy's 50. 30 and you say hit me up, that's different. What does it mean? <laughs> hit me up. That That's where you call somebody or text them. Okay, whatever. Yeah. If so, you want your swag, you better give us your address or you're not getting anything. <laughs> that's right. So, but thanks so much for writing that review, man. Sure appreciate it. It really helps us out. <laughs> Uh, when people are searching for yes, uh, episodes to watch. We need and, those. Thank yep, you. So. Hey, I'm excited about my new guest today. Uh, I'm excited because this guy's an avid bass fisherman, but he's also an expert in relationships, Matt Lair. He's 50 years old, lives in Bettendorf, Iowa. Been married to his beautiful wife, Pam, for 18 years. Matt is the founder and president of Dare to Be Different with a mission of helping marriages by training healthy mentor couples in churches all over the world. Literally, that he's created a relationship-building technique, which we're going to hear about today, has trained over 15,000 people who will then train marriage mentors. I think that's right. He just wrote a book uh, called Who's Got Your Back? We're going to talk about that book today. Uh, and so I'm excited to have Matt Lair on. Matt, how you doing, man? 
Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you. I appreciate the invite and uh, can't wait to get to know you too, my brother. Oh man. Hey, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. Did I, did I hit that right? You've trained 15,000 people around the world who will mentor couples, marriage mentor couples. That's correct. They will take on uh, marriages, which whether they're in crises or hurting or in any fashion, and we're growing rapidly. So uh, put on your seatbelt. That's a pretty wild ride. Man, that's exciting. And I'm excited about this book. Uh, you know, the book, I started reading the book and everything about it said it was written for men, but I realized towards the back, you actually wrote it for men and women, but I, it really, really resonates with me as a man. So I appreciate that. But before we get into your book, we're going to throw you into our rapid fire round. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. Okay, man. Hey, man. So before, I've never done this round before, but for you, I'm going to. Dale kind of had a spoiler alert, but this is called Truth or Dare. Oh. Truth or Dare, only I'm going to take out the word truth and talk about the word dare. (laughs) Dare is the acrostic you use to uh, help people in their marriages, to help men in their accountability. I guess women as well, women and women accountability, men with men. We don't do men with women for accountability. Awkward. And then Awkward. we're gonna and we're gonna also gonna talk about why men don't have their accountability partner as their spouse. And so, which I love that you put that in there. I'm like, finally a guy who's honest about accountability. You know, the anyway, we'll get into this later, but we're gonna go through the four com- components of dare. And I'm just gonna ask, uh, give you the word, and I want you to tell me what they mean in your system. Okay. The first word is discover. Sure. Uh, when you're meeting with a group of men, you cannot help them if you do not discover. The Bible says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you honor the law of Christ. How can I carry your burden if I don't know what it is? You got to discover. You got to be intrusive. You got to ask tough questions. You got to ask a lot of questions. Um, questions are, uh, it's all about uh, building relationships. And so discover means intentionally ask tough questions every time you meet. Now, in your book, you you said discover the other, each other's history, and when I first read that, I thought, yeah, that works for about an hour. It must be more than that. So I'm excited that you that you because I I think you're exactly right. Discover what's going on all the time, and so I I read it wrong in the book. I thought it was just their history, and I thought, well, it's got to be more than that because although history plays into it, there's a whole lot more with a guy's life, and I thought maybe he means the history like what happened in the last week. <laughs> So appreciate that word, man. How about this one? A, ask. All right. So these two are connected. Discovery cannot occur unless you ask questions. And I I say it this way. Asking questions equals love. If I love you, I will ask you questions. There's nothing that says I love you more than going up to someone and authentically asking you, hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your world? And so We've taken that to a very deep, very intentional uh, way. And you actually have to train people how to do this. This is kind of bizarre. But I want you to think for a second, how do you behave with person? Do you know someone at work who's a jerk? Do you know a jerk at work? Uh, And uh, Dale, you got to be careful here because you're sitting right across from your, yeah, yeah. You're pointing your finger. (laughs) I pointed first. I pointed first. (laughs) What do we normally do with jerks? We we avoid them. We avoid them. We don't talk to them. He does. So I'm like, wait a minute, time out. What if you went up to the jerk? Uh, once a day, and you ask them an authentic question about their life. What would happen to that relationship? And by the way, who's asking the jerk any questions that are authentic? Nobody is. So we found this power of questions. Jesus himself asked over 88 questions in Scripture. Matter of fact, if you look closely, often he would ask, and then he would teach. Whoa, is that profound? Mm -hmm. So discover what's going on. Asking questions becomes one of the most relationship-building and most powerful things we can do in ministry. And that's really good. That's so good, man. You talk a lot about that in the book, too. And you talk about the the guy that says, hey, man, I love you. I've got your back. Well, if you've got my back and you love me, but you're not asking the tough questions, right. you you have neither. You don't have my right. back, nor do you love me. So super, I really appreciate that. So R require action from one another. Oh, this is where this is where it gets hurtful. This this hurts a little. Yeah, it does. When you when you're in real accountability and you discover that there's an issue with a brother or they discover there's an issue with you, there had better be teeth to the process or it's not going to go anywhere. And so what we do is we we build what's called consequences 
uh, self-built consequences. So in our accountability, I personally have built self-consequences that I must pay to my group when I fail X, Y, Z. And so that, that requires action. And if a pattern develops where it escalates, then the consequences escalate. And it's all custom built. Okay. If you would like, if you would like examples, I will give them. Well, this is what I appreciate because I, I I read into that in the book, but you didn't give examples. I figured it was custom built. Now I know in your book you're pretty you're pretty open about your past struggles with pornography. Give me some give me some require action about pornography. Perfect. So uh, to be really clear, I had a pornography issue which uh, eventually I had to admit was an addiction, okay? That, that drawing that line where a man will, will go from, I have a problem to I have an addiction, is a, it's, to me, it was extremely scary and, and petrifying. But I had to do it. I had to admit it. I had to be honest. Through, uh, a, through a freedom ministry that helped me escape it, which, thank praise the Lord today, 100% free of pornography for maybe three or four years, um, in my group, a long-term success plan is every week to discover how the last seven days went, ask tough questions about the last seven days, and here it is, require action. So we've agreed in my group that any infraction, whether it's looking at porn or masturbation, one time, 50 bucks. Now, for some people, 50 bucks might be a drop in the bucket. In my life, it's not. So that's a stinger. If it continues to happen, the next level consequence is they call my wife. Whoa. So you have these ratchets of consequences. And I'll, I will say in a few years, um, I've probably had to shell out times. I had to shell out 50 bucks. And here's the thing. If there's no cost for the failure, then will you take it seriously? If there's no consequence, by the way, this is all self-built. No, nobody's beating me up. Yeah. I want to be pure. I want to escape bondage. What's it, what's it worth? What is freedom worth to me? And so the group of guys I'm with, this is it. I really appreciate that. And I, as I shared before our interview, that is where my accountability relationships are lacking. There's no action required, and then there's none, there's none of the E here, which is evaluate progress. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, so when you meet with a group of guys, you discover, you ask, you require action, and then you evaluate, are we on the right path? Are Is this accountability, is it effective? Is it working? Does one of the guys need, need kicked out of the group? Do we need to completely disassemble the group, and do I need to go find another group? Because this is my lifeline. This isn't personal. I have no ill feelings if a group doesn't fit. But this is my lifeline. And so I'm evaluating the effectiveness. I'm evaluating that we're on the right track and we're, we're, we're doing it right. And I'm evaluating um, whether or not this is the right group for me. Matter of fact, it's interesting you ask this. I just got a text. I met with my group today about an hour ago. Just got a text from one of the guys in my group. Here's what he said, Matt. I'm concerned that our group today session was too focused on one guy's issues at work and not enough about accountability. I think we need to bring this up in the next meeting and put a stop to it. High five, brother. Wow. High five. So okay, so here's a question. I I have a paradigm. And I'm just realizing your book is breaking through that paradigm. When I think of accountability, I think of me and one other guy. But you're saying that you have an accountability group. If I could match, if, if I could draw it up perfectly, I think one-on-one -on -one is the best. Okay? You meeting with one man is the best because less distractions, more, more time, you know, um, the more you add to the group, the more time each person is going to need. And it, you, you can hide behind numbers. You can, yes. you can get three, four, five guys. You can hide behind them, let them talk it all out. And then they come to you and you're, oh, I'm good. And then everybody goes home. And for four years, nobody knows that you're a full-blown addict, addict to something. And they don't even know. 
it's hard to escape that with one-on-one, but I like, you know, for me personally, three or four is my max. Okay, good, good, good. And, and so right now I, I'm in, I'm actually in two different groups. One is a accountability only group and that's three. And then I'm in a Bible study, which is five, T- two different groups, two different purposes. A Bible study is not accountability. Accountability is not a Bible study. You can put them together, but in my world, I have them separate. Okay, so walk me through the group setting. So walk me through the DARE acrostic, D-A-R-E, in in the setting of two or three other guys. How does this hour-long or whatever hour-and-a-half meeting work? Yeah, so we have what's called a check-in sheet. There's like 26 questions. We all have it printed, and we, we meet at a restaurant. We order our meal. We sit down, and... We have decided that right out of the gate, we're going to pull out our sheet and we're going to go through these 26 questions every single week and we don't deviate. Half the questions are based on a positive, godly man's um, action. And the other half is based on the, the sinful things that we're battling. So, for example, the first three questions, um, how, many, how many hours was I in the word this week? Um, um, it talks about health. Um, did I eat healthy this week? Yes or no? Scale of one to ten. Um, did I exercise this week? Uh, you know, these are all positive things to help a godly man internally and physically and spiritually. <clears throat> then we get into the negatives. Did I masturbate last week in the last seven days? If so, how many times? So we don't. It's not a patty cake. You know, talk about these are deep, these are yeah. Deep oh yeah. I'll never forget, I was at a restaurant one time with a guy really struggling in his life. And I looked at him and I said, I got two questions for you, brother. Number one, are you looking at porn? And number two, do you, are you masturbating? And he just started to weep. And he said, I'm, I'm addicted to both. And so, um, and, and to this day, um, he and I are very close. And, and he's like, Matt, you're the first person that loved me enough to ask me those two questions that changed my life because he ended up getting into a freedom program. And now he's 100% free of both of those things that were destroying his marriage. And so we go through this check-in sheet. Uh, Another question is, you know, did I lust? Did I eat? Uh, Like we have a guy in our group that's a glutton. He's extremely overweight and he himself wants to lose uh, 200 pounds and he has his own consequences. So his issue is not porn. And maybe your issue is money, maybe, you know, whatever it is, whatever your alcohol, drugs. So the negatives, every week we have to check in, how are we doing? And so it's, it's extremely clear and um, got to be honest. Man, that's some powerful stuff. Hey, before we get any further, I want to ask you about your personal life. Just tell us your story. Uh, I know some of the things you enjoy because we've had, had some conversations. But uh, what do you like to do? Tell us about your marriage. Just tell us about your family. <clears throat> Just a little bit more about you to give us context. Well, I have, a, I have an identical twin brother named Mike, Mike and Matt. Our oh, father really? was a reverend. Our father was a reverend. He is my hero. He was my hero, literally, uh, spiritually. I don't know yet a person who knew the Bible uh, better than he did. He was a very humble man. Um, he taught us how to deer hunt a bow and arrow when I was 11 or 12. I grew up out in the country in Iowa, a farm boy, and uh, got into fishing and hunting and loved the outdoors and so, you know, that's my, my childhood. My father is no longer with us. And then um, met my wife at my church. We dated for a couple of years and got married. And uh, not long after that, our, our church asked us to get involved in the marriage ministry. I got certified and trained in some marriage things. I, it grabbed a hold of me. I quit my job, sold everything, and started a ministry from scratch. We then built this ministry by one year of investigating with a, a hundreds of people on what they wanted and what churches and pastors wanted. Because when we build a method of mentoring, we wanted it built for lay people, by lay people. We wanted it to be all lay people focused. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Here we are 13 years later. Um, absolutely love what I do. And God has been really good to us. And that's a great story, man. And uh, so your book, I called your book controversial because you address an issue that I hear nationally acclaimed speakers bashing regularly. I don't get it, but I hear Christian leaders regularly 
bashing the word accountability. Have you experienced this, and, and what's the deal? Well, I haven't heard anybody bash it, but I will say it's not really a sexy word. It's not yeah. It's not going to sell off the shelf. It's not like somebody goes to the bookstore going, I sure can't wait till I find a book on how I can be held accountable. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, here, here's, I'll tell you what sparked it. I did a marriage, I'm sorry, I did a freedom from porn workshop for Iron Sharpens Iron with Roy Abbott. Many, many, many yeah, years. Yeah, I know Roy. Uh huh. And he's a great man and a soldier for Christ. And at the end of this, at the end of the seminar, the room was packed. <clears throat> um, I, at the very end of my seminar, I said one sentence: "If you want freedom, you must get into a lifetime of accountability." Now, at the time, I was more focused on marriage and not on men's ministry. And after the seminar, I was overwhelmed with a crowd of men who had come to me. And they said two things, and this is what sparked the book. I do not know how to start accountability, and I don't even know how to find someone that would be in accountability with me. So it was this overwhelming, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know who to find. I don't even know what to do. That experience pushed me to write this book. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was out of that one incident. And now I look back after, you know, 13 years. Well, you know, I, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm finding 99% of Christians are not in any kind of accountability. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Morley uh, came out with a book, uh, The Christian Man, just recently. And then also they wrote a book, Clemmer, Delk, and Morley wrote a book called No Man Left Behind. And in that, both those books, they quote that in the secular world, one out of 18 men do not have a group. And in the Christian world, it's one out of seven men are not involved in a small group. But in that one in seven men, the percentage of them being in an accountability relationship, you said earlier, a Bible study is not accountability. And accountability no. is not a Bible study. And I think we need to understand that. There, I think there is a, there is a breach there. Uh, there's a gap there that we don't understand. Yeah, I've been in small groups my whole life. I love small groups. God bless them. I think they're important and they should remain. However, how many small groups do the men and the women break out and the man takes them in downstairs and he looks right at him and he says, okay, guys, who's struggling with porn? Who's struggling with lust? Who's struggling with alcohol? Who's struggling with drugs? I want to help you. I want to love on you. I want to walk with you. But the only way this is going to happen is if we're all honest. Is that happening? No, 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 not at all. What I think, therefore, I'm sorry. Therefore, it's really not accountability. It's it's a Bible study. Well, and I think that's why I hear speakers speak against accountability because what they do is they don't do the R and the E. Most accountability groups nowadays don't function because they don't require action and they don't evaluate progress. And when I'm looking at my own accountability. They started out that way and have morphed into a coffee meeting. And I, and yeah. I, I was reading your book going, yeah, something's going to give here because I don't have the time to waste on a cup of coffee with a friend. I mean, although that's important, but there's got to be something more to the relationship than two guys having a cup of coffee. I'd rather go, if it's just going to be that, I'd rather go, you know, get in a kayak and catch some bass. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, why waste your time with a cup of coffee when you'd be holding a three pound bass, right? You know what I'm saying? Well, they say that the followers will never, ever rise above the leader. And so leaders in general are not in accountability. I mean, yeah, listen, true. Go, go meet. I have the pleasure of talking to or meeting with thousands and thousands of pastors. Talk about lone rangers. Oh, Talk yeah. about silos. Talk about just being lonely. And I, I don't blame them. I'm not here to throw darts at them. Matter of fact, it's harder for pastors to get into accountability than you or me. And I think I know why, because there's a level of vulnerability there that uh, of fear of um, confidentiality. Like, yep. what if, what if the very guy that comes to my church every Sunday really knows what I'm struggling with? <laughs> and so I wish there were a network allowing pastors to have an outlet to go. And, you know, when I travel and I'm there for a weekend, often I am that guy that they pour out onto because they trust me and I'm leaving. So it might be good for a moment on that weekend, 
but they need something every week. They need, they need a, I call it a wingman. Dale, you need a wingman. I need a wingman and they need a wingman. Well, what, what exactly is a wingman? And so they just don't have one. Well, I call it a lightning rod. Somebody you can dump all your stuff on. And I tell pastors all the time, you cannot use somebody in the church. And I'll tell you, I had another pastor tell me, oh, my wife is just torn up because of she heard I, you know, this and that. And I go, well, how'd she find out? Well, I went and told her. I go, you need to protect your wife. No, I tell my wife everything. I said, well, you're young and dumb, and you're going to ruin her because of that. And so uh, I think this lightning rod is so important. So speaking of wives, should, an account, should a guy, what if a guy says, hey, man, and you address this in your book, which I love what you had to say in your book. Hey, man, I'm accountable to my wife. I tell her everything. What's your response? First of all, I laugh. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I find it humorous. Then I cry. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, it's not practical. It's not realistic. And it's not probable. And, and if you were to go to a thousand men and say, hey, the only way this is going to work is you got you to tell your wife everything. Uh, see you later. Good luck. That, that's gonna, that plan's going to fail. If you did tell your wife everything, I think that's going to fail too because everything isn't necessary and you're going to you're going to have unintended consequences and you're going to you're going to cut her so many times with little paper cuts she's going to bleed to death. Yep. Uh-huh. So I do think this is the million dollar question I get is when I'm in accountability at what point does the wife need to come in at what point does the wife need to know. And listen the answer is that's a case by case discussion. True. There's no cookie cutter for that one. <clears throat> so, park that for a minute. I'm not trying to hide things from a wife. And by the way, I'd say the same things to women. I don't think a woman should go to her husband and say, "Hey, I was at the supermarket today and I saw a guy and I just, man, I <laughs> I just loved it. I just thought he was so amazing, so attractive." I don't need to know all that. Or I I struggle with gossip today, honey. I just want you to know or I struggle I don't think God intended the husband-wife relationship to be that way. Is there a level of accountability in marriage? Of course. Without even, without even making it formal, there is always going to be an informal level of accountability in marriage. No question. Yep. But sure. here's the thing, and I want to say this to you, Dale. Yes. I want my wife to fulfill two or three roles. Here they are. Number one, I want her to be my lover. I want her to be my friend. I want her to be my helpmate, my lover, my friend, and my helpmate. So not my supervisor, not my judge, not my jury, not my accountability partner. I want her to be my friend and my lover and my helpmate. I want to be her friend, her lover, and I want to be her leader. All of a sudden, the intimacy really starts to appear. But if you're dumping every little sinful, minor or major thing out every day, it damages the friendship, the lover part, and it damages the relationship. Yeah, and I think a lot of guys would struggle with tell telling their wives everything that's going on in there. Uh, it could do a lot of damage for sure. Hey, I love how you start out your book. On page 13, you said this. I, I agree with it wholeheartedly. You said a decision to follow Christ doesn't immunize us against the strategies Satan uses to distract us. Without, about, without accountability, without a human to whom we answer, it's easy to go astray and justify our actions. We all have blind spots. We can excuse ourselves or find ways to justify our actions, but God knows. And I have found something that's alarming, and I know you have too because of your work with marriages— I have found that you know uh, men in the church who say they are Christians, uh, I have found them, generally speaking, no better than men outside the church. I have found marriages in the church statistically not better than marriages outside the church. And, and I think a lot of it doesn't come down to whether you're claiming to be a Christian, but I think a lot of it comes down to how devoted you are to it and how, how, how fully devoted you are uh, to becoming your best version in Christ through what the Bible says. What are your thoughts on that quote from your book? Well, A, obviously I agree. I agree with myself. 
Sometimes I don't. Yeah. Sometimes like I wrote I that. that I wrote that. I, rep- I <laughs> repent. I repent. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> what was I doing? Secondly, did you read or come across the part in the book, the analogy that Satan is the bow hunter and you are the buck? Yeah, because I did, because I laughed when you said effective range is like like 20 yards. 30 yards. In Oregon, we shoot out to 100 because it's different than these little these uh, tree stands you guys hunt in. <laughs> so you shoot, a, you shoot a bow 100 yards? I will not shoot outside of 40 yards, but I have my bow sighted in to 100 yards, and I practice dude, that regularly. But dude, we're shooting in the rock. west, so the, bucks <laughs> I, the bulls I killed were at 40 yards and 42 yards. That's A western guy, it's a little different than you, you Easterners. <laughs> That's a long way. I'm proud of you. Man. Anyway, but, so. But when you got an elk, it's a bigger target. Yeah, it's the size of a his basketball. Lungs are about, his lungs are about four feet long. Yeah, no, I hear you. But I, yeah, I totally I love that luring the buck in. Why don't you walk us through that analogy? Yeah, so here's the deal with that quote. I personally don't care how spiritual a man is. Um, years ago, for a godly man to fall to pornography, he had to go get it. He had to go somewhere physically. He had to get up out of his chair. He had to go to a store. You know, when I was when I was in my teens, when I was 20, 25, I didn't have a cell phone. I did not have the internet. <clears throat> I'm 50, so I was, you know, I, I was the before and the after internet guy. And And so I didn't partake in those things. The barrier between me and all of that was wide enough where I, I stayed away from it, but not any, not anymore. Today, the, the game has changed. And so the deer stand is now 20 yards, 10 yards, five yards away from the godly man every minute of every day. And it's his free. Cell phone, his cell phone is one click away. And that makes that man vulnerable. The godly, the spiritual, the evangelist, the senior pastor of a mega church. And you're the big buck. And the greater of a spiritual stature you are, the greater the buck. And the deer hunter, Satan, he's you're the one he's coming after. So for any of these men to say, I don't need accountability, I'm good. I'm like, brother, if you only knew, if you only knew. And so that's the thought. We all have blind spots. And I pray that until I die, I don't forget this and that I am vulnerable to a group of men every week for the rest of my life. Well, and you hunt in the East where tree stands are prevalent. In the West, it's not tree stand hunting. It's not, not a lot of guys do that. You know, and, and, and when you're in a tree stand, you're elevated. So you're in a natural blind spot. You know, say the Bible says in first Peter five, eight, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, where's he prowling around? You know, he's prowling around looking for the strays, looking for those who have wandered outside of their, their natural vant- viewpoints and vantage points. And, uh, and, uh, it's really, uh, it's really dangerous. Hey, we're going to come back and we're going to hear from our sponsor. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots on the ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. Hey, Matt, a question now. On page 35, you're talking about Satan and we're talking about prowling around like a roaring lion. On, on page 35, 
you know, you really identify one of the ways that he comes after us. And the section of this book is called Secrets Destroy Lives. And in that section, you write, and I quote on page, you write, secrecy binds you and controls you. Once you expose your secrets to another human being, the chains break and you are set free. Then on page 37, you write, that which you conceal enslaves you. What you reveal enables you to overcome. So my question, Matt, is how does confession lead to freedom, and why do we avoid it? Well, like the Bible says, um, share each other's burdens with each other, and, and, and I believe that that's the step one. Step one is being honest and being earnest. <clears throat> Secrets are like a fungus, and fungus grows in the dark. But when you open That's up good. the light and you pour light onto fungus, it dies. That's step one. And keeping light on the fungus, keeping uh, like if I met with you, Dale, every week and I said, hey, Dale, last week, man, I, I was in the gym working out and lifting weights. And man, th this girl came in and she was really attractive. And, I, you know, my eyes popped out of my head and I should have walked away. But Dale, I didn't. That right there is shedding light on the fungus when it's not very, it's really small. But if I don't share it with you, Dale, and I keep it secret, what's going to happen next week and the next week and the next week? And it grows. And this is how I say it. Undealt with secrets in a closet will grow to the point where they blow the closet door right off the hinges and they ruin your life. And if you don't believe me, ask Bill Clinton. Ask some of these evangelists. Ask these great men. King David, of all people. It blew the door right off the closet. And, and if it could happen to them, I just wrote a sermon not long ago. I think you'll like this, Dale, called One Step from Stupid. Every man That's is true. one step away from stupid. Now, Dale, be careful. I didn't say you're sitting across from stupid. I said you're one step away from stupid, which could mean the same thing. We got to be clear here. I would yeah. never call Jim stupid. Come on. <laughs> I'm only one step away from stupid. Well, that's really good, man. Well, so, you know, here's one of the things I think guys get caught up in. They get a little deceived here is that guys go, well, whoa, 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 I am in an accountability relationship. And I look at some of the relationships I have in the weekly meetings I have, and I go, well, this is definitely not an accountability relationship. So can you walk us through, because I think there are guys out there thinking they're involved in accountability, and they're not. What? And, I, and you address this on page 10 of your book. What is not accountability? So when you mentor someone, a mentor, like um, I'm all for mentoring. I'm all for discipleship. Sometimes I'll speak to a pretty high level godly person and he'll say, oh, I'm in accountability. I meet with John every week. I'll say, okay, what's, what's the nature of your meeting? Well, I've been mentoring him. Oh, well, that disqualifies you from being in accountability because how many mentors do you know that confess their sin to their student? How many teachers do you know that tell their students, Hey, before I teach you today, let me tell you what I struggled with last night before I went to bed. So the, the nature of that relationship is not accountability. Um, if you're in a Bible study, which we talked about, you're not in accountability. Uh, a parenting-son relationship, I just talked to a dad recently. Uh, I, I highly doubt the son is going to tell everything to the father. I just highly doubt you're going to be the guy. Yeah. There, it needs to be what I call an equilibrium, that you and that other person are on some kind of an equal plane in your life so that you both feel comfortable sharing the details of what's going on. That's really good. And I apologize, Matt. I said page 10. I meant chapter 10. That's okay. And then here's the other thing. You talked about a mentor, uh, a father-son uh, I think another one is, and here's here's where I'm really wrestling right now a little bit, not wrestling, but I'm realizing that an accountability accountability partner that has morphed into a, a guy you're so comfortable with, you're just hanging out with, that's yeah. not accountability. You know, it, have you when when do you know when do you teach guys that their accountability partner has morphed into something that either needs to change 
or be cut off completely? Well, that's a great question. Day one, when you start meeting with a group of guys, the very first day, you say something like this. Hey, guys, we're not meeting for coffee. We're not meeting for fun. We're meeting with a purpose. And that is so that I, I, I say this to them, so I can uh, become and remain as godly and as right with my God as I can possibly be. If at any point that this group would would um, would wane or would migrate to something that's too shallow, I'm telling you guys right now that I'm going to bail out. I'm actually setting up myself to leave this group on the very first day that we started. Now, if you're if somebody's listening here, you're already in a group that's not very deep. Have this discussion with them. I'm not saying fire them. I'm just saying reconstruct them. And you may have casualties, but part of them may say, hey, I've been waiting for you to say this, for someone to say this, because I feel the same way. And so you you may find you have the right group. You just don't have the right format. Yeah, I agree with that. And and you, it, it, and I think that's the case, too, is that one guy's feeling this way or one guy's feeling that way. And it's really easy to not be accountable. It's real easy to not evaluate or have consequences. Uh, and you talk about on page 47 of your book, you talked about the six qualifications of an accountability partner. And I thought this was really, really helpful. And uh, do you want me to read those off to you or do you have them there? Yeah, so I'll take a quick look at them. So is already a friend or someone you think you would know better? I'll actually sum up all six and I'll go through them carefully. But okay, listen, I think there needs to be a level of chemistry. Like Dale, I, I like you. You hunt. I'm in. I, I don't even. I don't even know much more about you. I'm in. Let's let's go kill something and then let's <laughs> let's hold each other accountable. Uh, one of my closest friends right now is he's he's an outdoorsman all the way, and he and I will go on a bass fishing trip for four days, and we will stay in a tent together. We will float down a river together. Um, we we stink together. I mean, can I say that? Yep. Three three days without a shower, but you know what? I trust him. There's a chemistry there. I think that's important. I I don't think you're going to pour your life out to someone where there's not some form of chemistry. Appears to have a strong commitment to God is number two, someone you can trust. Number three, they want to grow spiritually. Number four, that has to be there. Yeah, for sure. Number five, they're willing to weep weekly or biweekly. And number six, they love you enough to challenge you and they love you enough and they love the process enough to let you challenge them. That's Six huge. qualifiers. That's huge. Well, you know, one of the things I go by when I'm, looking to hire or is I call them the four C's their personal character, their competency. Like, are we at the same level? Right. You know, similar their commitment to X or Y and then the chemistry. I think chemistry is really, really important because you, you need to be able to connect with this person relationally. So that's really good, man. So is there one there that you think uh, supersedes the others? Well, for me, chemistry is number one because I've had guys say, well, my buddy that I really like is kind of a new Christian. That's okay. He doesn't have to be a superstar. Here's my question. My question isn't where is he spiritually now? My question is where does he want to be? Yep. And if he wants to be a rock star for Jesus Christ and you want to be a rock star for Jesus Christ, you're going to be a good fit. But the chemistry, man, you can't make it. You can't create it. It's either there or it's not. Yeah, that is a true statement. So I know you talked about this a little bit, but when do you know it is time that to move on? Like you've chosen the wrong person or this relationship is no longer an accountability and it's not going to get there. At what point do you choose to move on? I've probably had that happen four or five times in my life. One time I had the perfect match and then we, we added a third guy. And the third guy was like oil and water. He was oil and water with me more than the other guy. But all of a sudden, um, you know, I found out he was lying. He, he, he was messing around with lots of, of uh, women and all kinds of stuff. And when we confronted him, he didn't like it. And, I, and, and so I said, hey, I'm out. It's over. I, I'm, I'm not going to meet anymore. Another time, it was me and one guy. 
and it, it kind of like uh, it, 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 there was not any one thing. It just kind of became too much about coffee. I didn't really feel that we were growing or challenging each other. Sometimes I would sit back and test him and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to sit back and see if he's going to get into my group. I'm just going to sit back and see if he's going to say, Hey Matt, now tell me what's really happening. And he didn't. So over time I'm like, eh, this isn't the right fit. So how did you test him? Did you tell him some dark secret to see if he did something about it? No, no. I tested him by just saying nothing, wondering, is he going to inquire? Is he going to ask? Is he going to, is he going to get into my life at all? Because if he's not, if I'm not on his radar, this is not going to be a good fit. Well, you talked about getting into my life, getting into my grill. On page 82, you wrote this in your book, and I, I want to address this quote, quote. You said, if you want to grow and accomplish great things, you need to learn to accept rebuke. With an accountability partner, the idea is simple. And you mentioned this earlier in the podcast. If you love me, you'll look out for me and confront the self-destructive areas in my life, and I will do the same. How, how does accountability unravel when uh, uh, partners are unwilling to do that? Well, King David says it best. He's one of my favorite people to study. And I'll tell you why I love King David so much. He is a alpha male. He is a, he's an outdoorsman. I know that guy would have been a great bass fisherman. Um, <laughs> with the spear. He, the other reason I can relate with him is he, he had struggles with attractive women or, you know, lust. And, you know, David is not this perfect, polished, you know, oh, I'm, I'm so perfect and righteous kind of guy. But I'll tell you, in Psalm 51, David became broken and repentant. And here's what he said. A king, he was a king of all people. He said this. He said, let a righteous man strike me. It is an oil upon my head. Let my head not refuse it. This is so poetic and beautiful. He's saying, Dale, would you strike me, confront me, rebuke me? And this is exactly what Nathan the prophet did to David. He's saying, man, I'm opening myself. Would you strike me? Because it is a healing ointment on my head. And let my head not refuse it. Let me receive it as if it were a lifeline. So with that, I think being able to confront someone in love and being open to being confronted is it's just riddled with godly blessings. It is, it is so rich and so wonderful. I remember one time confronting a guy very harshly, but I don't want to give all the details because it doesn't matter. I'm not a harsh guy. I'm very calculated. I give a lot of love and mercy and grace, and but all the sometimes you got to take the gloves off, right? Yeah. This guy's marriage was about over, and so I I just I hammered him in love. I didn't yell. I didn't curse. I just I just rebuked him, and he got mad. About two days later, his wife called my wife, and she she was crying on the phone, and she my wife thought something was wrong, and she says, "You don't understand. When we left your house." My husband was so mad at Matt. But then, but then we sat in your driveway for an hour. And as tears flowed down his face, the Holy Spirit filled our car. And he looked at me and he said, every word Matt said was right. Wow. And she said, he came home and the problem that we were addressing, he completely took charge, resolved the issue came back the next week. And what do you think was the first thing this man did to me when I saw him next? Man hug. He hugged me. Wow, that's powerful. And to man. this day, he and I are very good friends. The Bible says so much about rebuking. It says better is a rebuke than a flattering tongue. It says if you rebuke a wise man, he Will, you will win favor. You gain more favor by rebuking a man than by giving him a flattering tongue. Meaning you gain their favor and their love and their affection by just being real and holding them accountable. 
It's exactly what I would want you to do to me, Dale, if I fell off the trail. Yeah. And so this is what's missing in our Christian culture. Well, I love, you know, Proverbs 27, 17. Mm -hmm. We love to quote that, right? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right. Do you find that it, that guys, because you're, you're a spiritual leader, you've got this organization, you go around the world and you train people. Do you find that guys struggle to confront you? In your book, I think you talked about letting someone off the hook. Do you have that issue? Do you have to force people and plead with people to rebuke you? I don't have to. I don't have to force or even ask my wife to do that. No, of course not. <laughs> it's a spiritual gift, man. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's nine gifts of the spirit. I swear that's number ten. I know. Seriously. Um, I think you have to train and educate and give permission, and then it will flow. It will happen. I. I think as a general rule, if four or five guys gets together, it, it probably won't happen unless you are verbally intentional, unless you educate, make give permission and foster it. I don't think it will happen. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, letting, I think a lot of times in these accountability relationships, if we don't include the R require action, we don't include the E evaluate progress. We tend to let our people off the hook. Yeah. And once that happens, uh, well, let me give you an example to that. I was in a Bible study not long ago. And at the very end, the, the man leading, I wasn't leading it. The man leading it said, Hey, is there anybody that needs prayer? About a 65 year old man says, yeah, can you pray for me this week? I've really been struggling with lust. And so boom, he goes to the next guy. Well, what can you pray for? I go, Whoa, Whoa, time out. I, I go back to the guy and I said, can you be more specific? I mean, did you have a lustful thought? Are you having an affair? I mean, to what degree? Yeah, serious. And, and the leader of the group just he's not trained or he's not informed on how to take something like that and go deeper so that you can get to a, a level of confrontation that's healthy for the group. So it's by the way, if if you were to watch, I've seen this happen so many times. If you were to watch a man make a confession to other men. Let's say you went to 10 of your friends and you said, hey, guys, I just I just want to confess. I, I looked at porn last night. If you were to videotape their reaction almost every time, they're going to comfort you. Yeah. They're going to they're going to. Oh, hey, thanks for sharing, Dale. It's all right, bro. Hey, hey bro. Hey, bro. You're not alone. Thanks for sharing. And, and there is mercy and that's OK. And I appreciate that. But if that's where it's left, <laughs> you're in deep trouble. Yeah. yeah. So so there is this there is this um, there's this friction where we need to give mercy and grace, but we also need to hold each other accountable. And so those two things work well together. I will love you, but I'm also needing to confront you and and uh, require action and evaluate what you're going to do about your problem. Yeah, I, I I love your steps, Dare, uh, D-A-R-E. I think those are so powerful because we tend to get lazy in our accountability relationships. You know, we get lazy and we let guys off the hook. And and then I think also we, I think, you said something really powerful in your book, Matt. It was one word and you just kind of let it slip out. But I highlighted it, circled it, sharpened it, you know, emboldened it with my pen, you know, highlight it, you know, because I thought it was so powerful because a lot of times you hear guys say, yeah, that's my accountability partner. But you said in your book on page 103, recently I added to my arsenal, there's my word that you put in there, my arsenal of accountability partners. So when you think about accountability partners, we are not talking about one man alone with you. You're in full-time ministry. You know, we're talking about multiple guys in your arsenal of accountability partners. How, how does that work for a man with a 40-hour-a-week job who's not a full-time ministry guy? It's, it has to be intentional. Yeah. It has, to, it has to be a lifeline. Men have to wake up and say, I need that like I need oxygen. Yeah. If I don't have that, I will suffocate and I, I will perish. Um, during some very intense times of accountability, 
I'd go away on a weekend. I'm gone about every other weekend teaching, training, uh, t- preaching, training. And they said this, we expect you to text us every night um, how your day went. What did you struggle with? There was during some intense time. And I don't do this all the time. But when you go through uh, when you go through a very dark time, the intensity is risen by your group to help you through it. They didn't just turn a blind eye and say, oh, well, we're not going to see Matt for two weeks. So even when I was gone, they were right there with me. And again, it all has to be intentional. And I just encourage men, start somewhere, raise the bar to the level of intensity that you're in bondage of sin. You need to have the same level of intensity of accountability to find freedom. To find freedom. You know, I, I got to tell you, so when I picked your book up and I opened it, I thought, okay, it's 181 pages, real small font. I read a book a week right now for these podcasts, maybe more than that. And I thought, oh, no, this is a long book. But this book, I read this book so fast. It was so easy to read. Uh, it really flowed. It, you spoke to the common man. You know, you you spoke to men who who are normal guys, and a lot of these guys don't read books. I thought it was a real good book for anybody to read. I really would recommend it. I love the topic. Uh, on page 160, though, you summed it up. And I want you to give me a synopsis here uh, based on this quote. You said this, and I, I thought you could have ended the book on this que- on this statement. You said, there is no room in a man's life for ego or lust to be present. Get an accountability partner to help you fight the ego and lust battles that wage war in your life. Can you talk to us about the power of that statement? Well, I have been asked many years, what are the top three things men struggle with? Okay. Number one, lust. Number two, ego, which you could say ego and pride are the same. Yes. And number three, I would say, um, I would say materialism. For and sure. I would say For materialism sure. is connected to ego. And and so the this is our battle. You know, you go you go say hi to a man, what's my next question? What do you do for a living? There's something about all of that in man world. I get it, I'm a man, you know, our identity. But I know this. God says this. He says, I'm gonna give you a formula on how and who. God is very partial, by the way, yeah, when it comes to his blessings. And he says, this is who I'm going to bless, the humble. And I want you to know, and I want all the listeners to know, that one of the number one groups, people groups that God opposes, I don't care skin color, race, God opposes the proud. Yep, yep. And so there, the accountability cannot thrive if there are elements of fear or ego or, hey, I don't want anybody to know. It's none of their business or then it's just not going to work and you're going to be in you're going to find yourself in pretty deep trouble. Yeah, I've got a I've got a personally I'm thinking about this and I think for every guy we need to really be careful who we call an accountability partner. Because what you're talking about is a whole nother you're talking about varsity football versus JV. Yeah, you get you, on page 156 you mentioned this. What kind of car does he drive? What's the horsepower? How big's his home? How many toys does he have? How much money does he make? What kind of clothes does he wear? How good looking is his wife? Well, I rephrase that because it's, yeah. And so, but we do that. I call it the pissing contest. We get in a circle and we pull down our pants and go, okay, whose is the biggest? You know, it's like, come on. And so, but we need you know, to set that stuff aside. We do. It's funny you say that because I just ran into a guy last week at my church and I, I, I know him. He's a pretty wealthy guy, about my age. And um, he really wants to get together with my wife and I, and we may, but on the way home, I looked at her and I said, I just don't think that guy and I will ever be close. And she said, why? I said, well, in the first 10 minutes, here's what I learned. He has a Lamborghini. He has a huge house in Florida. He has a 40 foot yacht. He has 54 houses he built. He had he literally worked all of that in the converse in the first five minutes we were chatting. I didn't solicit any of it. I wanted to look at him and go, uh, I got a Ford. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's an 08. It's before Bluetooth. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> uh, so 
and, and, and I'm not knocking him. And I, and I do think there's something inside of him that's drawn to God. And I want to tap into that part. But listen, man, if, if you're a guy, well, let's throw all that off and say, hey, guess what? Here's who I really am. I'm an insecure. I'm, I'm a broken, sinful, insecure person that without Jesus Christ, I am nobody. Let's start there. Well, and Jesus, who is the ultimate alpha male, in fact, yeah. he's the ultimate alpha and omega, this is the same Jesus who in Luke said, the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. So if we're going to base manhood on our materialism, we're in trouble because the guy yeah. that we worship and serve as our Savior and King did not own a house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, And he had women yeah. supporting him and a group of other people. So we've got to really be careful. But I think humility is such a huge part of it, man. And I really... I really appreciated this book. I, you know, I read a lot of the books, and and you know, usually they say a lot of the same things. But this book was very unique to me. I've, uh, in fact, I got a book in the mail yesterday, and look what it's called. Oh wow! Same title as yours. I don't even know who wrote this book. We're trying to track who down where it came from. I think somebody's trying to market it to us. But I'm thinking this book is the book that I think guys need to really get their hands on, and and the very least. Go after your D-A-R-E acrostic. I think that is uh, really life-changing. So, Matt, how can our people get a hold of you uh, if they want to plug into what you're doing, man? Well, I'll say a couple things. Number one, I do marriage. I'm sorry. I do men's conferences in churches. Let me explain what that looks like. It can be two hours, four hours, seven hours. But I will unpack how to start a small, how to start an accountability group. I actually take all the men that come and I pair them up. And during the course of that event, they will match up one-on-one -on -one or two, two to three, and they will practice being held accountable on the spot in that, in that weekend event. And so it's not just teach, it's application. Then at the very end, I say, listen, guys, you just experienced deep accountability for the first time. When you go home, please make a commitment to take that group you were with and make that your future group, okay? And in many cases, they will. And so that's a very hands-on, very applicable. We do talk about porn. We do talk about masturbation. We go deeper into all the ego. We go into pride. We go into materialism. And so if anyone has interest in this, contact me at daretobedifferent.com. It's that simple. My email is there, matt at daretobedifferent.com or matt at loveandrespect.com. Either one, I, I'm, I'm available at both ministries. And then I'll just reach out, back out to you, answer your questions, explain what the men's conference looks like. Or maybe you're a listener and you're like, hey, I kind of like this. I'd like to be a marriage mentor. And I'd like to bring this into marriage mentoring with my spouse. Same thing. Contact me, Matt at daretobedifferent.com or Matt at loveandrespect.com, and we'll take it off from there. Man, I appreciate that, Matt. Thanks so much for taking the time today and sharing your wisdom and knowledge. And and really, this this is a boots-on-the-ground book. And guys, speaking of boots on the, boots on the ground, we want to get your boots on the ground. Don't just walk away from this and thinking you're off the hook. We have our weekly boots-on-the-ground assignment. Here's yours. We want you to add one more to your arsenal of man, men. If you uh, have an accountability partner, we want you to look for another one. Or if you have a situation where your accountability partner or your accountability group needs a little fresh fire, we really want you to look into Matt's book and his dare, uh, his dare acrostic, which is discover, discover what's going on in that guy's life, discover his history, discover anything you can, dig deep in this guy and discover by asking a, asking tough questions and then requiring, after those questions, requiring, which is your R, action from each other, and E, evaluating, waiting the progress. You heard it all on this podcast. Guys, get out there and do it. Get your boots on the ground. And we'll also post our boots on the ground action item in our weekly equipping blast that you can get to by subscribing at meninthearena.org. We'll also, you can also 
grab a free PDF version of my bathroom book for men while you're at it, and then head on over to our Facebook forum and join thousands of men from around the world in our daily discussion about what a man is and does. Did you guys know Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization, and we exist to inspire men to become their best version? Because of guys like you and generous champions, financial champions, we are able to offer for free this podcast, our forums, and all of our resources to missionaries and men in underdeveloped countries. You can find out more about how to support us at meninthearena.org. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Get accountable. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.